Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this episode, we cover the latest on the spread of the coronavirus and talk about how investors who are close to retirement should approach market falls with Phil Atreid, Head of Investment Consulting, Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello and welcome to this A Word on the Street midweek special. I'm Phil Atreid, Barclays Head of Investment Consulting, and I'm joined here today by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Also welcoming back Rob Smith, our Behavioural Finance Expert, uh, to help us plot a course through these turbulent markets. Uh, So for this edition, we thought we'd focus Um, a little more specifically on the effects that uh, turbulent markets are having on those a bit closer to retirement, or I guess an important event in their lives, and and what these investors can do. Uh, Before we get into that, though, Will, let's briefly start with any news highlights from the weekend. Hey, Phil. Yeah, again, it was really anything that um, is telling us about the path of the coronavirus that is grabbing most attention at the moment, as you can understand. Um, just as uh, I think the interesting point in amongst all of this, there's one of our research providers um, that is the kind of third party specialist who we pay to delve into um, bits of the world's re- world of research that we can't reach with our own resources. So this particular provider um, has been scrutinizing um, the number of tests um, that are coming back positive um, in various countries around the world. Now, if you think about it, just sort of you know extrapolating um, a very low positivity rate, so a number of a number of tests that are coming back positive, uh, say less than five percent, might be inferred um, as a sign that broad testing is being implemented in that country uh, and that the majority of infected patients uh, infected patients are being identified, um, ideally being quarantined too. So as an example, South Korea has been down at kind of two to three percent of tests coming back positive for a while now. Now on the other hand, a high rate at greater than ten percent, say. Uh, can be consistent with a more out of control um, uh, outbreak. Um, perhaps uh, you know many cases are being missed. Uh, you've got low taste testing capacities potentially. Uh, you know again you can make all sorts of inferences. More bad news to come basically. Now for a few days now this rate of positivity has been slowing in Italy, uh, which alongside the slowdown in actual new cases it, it is tentative cause for encouragement as we've been saying on the last couple of um, uh, uh, couple of podcasts. Basically containment works. Um, which we already had some evidence of from the Asian case study. Now, on the flip side, less positive here. There is currently much less sign for it, much less, uh, uh, much less encouraging news out of the US. Um, but the authorities do look to be stepping up measures quite a bit. We saw a little bit of that over the weekend. Um, so we'll need to watch closely over the next um, next couple of weeks there. But that's broadly some of the things that have been going on anyway. Right. Thanks, Will. Um, the weekend also gave us a little bit of time just to digest that massive US spending package, which has now obviously been signed off. Um, I saw you pointing out in this week's Views on the News publication uh, that this shouldn't be thought of as stimulus. I mean, if uh, if $2 trillion isn't stimulus, I'd love to know what is. Yeah, it's a good point, Phil. But in a way, it's more about the objective. I think it's not really stimulus per se. This is very much in keeping with what we've talked about on this podcast. That's They are really trying to, the authorities are trying to buy the economy time uh, to go through the containment process. I heard it described, I thought quite aptly, as, um, as kind of putting the economy into an induced coma, uh, which I think, you know, is roughly right. Uh, and there are three broad objectives from this particular package. Uh, you know, first, they're trying to bolster the health system. Uh, second, they're trying to strengthen the social safety net. Uh, and third, 
they're really trying to provide life support for many of the most affected, affected businesses. These are kind of uh, small and medium-sized businesses in particular. That was discussed in, uh, uh, on last Friday's uh, podcast with, uh, with Ian Workman, uh, you know, one of the bosses at Business Bank. Um, so these are the same objectives that you're seeing from many other policymakers around the world, basically. And, and on that policy re- response point as well, um, I mean, you know, we've seen some pretty big policy decisions there. Um, you know, does that potentially change the nature of government in some countries without getting too deep? What, what I mean is, might we actually see some of these measures stick around a little bit longer? Uh, it's a fascinating question. And one of the questions that we'll be able to answer only really with hindsight. But, you know, there mm. are, like you say, some people um, already suggesting that this is helping to show some parts of society how the state needs to play a permanently enlarged role. Um, now, one very famous uh, economist uh, and, uh, and libertarian a long time ago, uh, Milton Friedman uh, remarked that there is nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. Uh, basically, it's already it's always hard uh, to take something away from the uh, the population. Um, what that uh, that you may uh, I have to admit uh, at the weekend there was some evidence of that. Uh, you may struggle to persuade my son of that. He gave his sister a library book for her ninth birthday uh, at the weekend. It didn't go down too well, I can tell you. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, now let's turn to sort of uh, turn, turn to the retirement point. So it's something a good number of investors um, do have to rely on is the flow of dividends from companies. Many of us, um, obviously through our various pension schemes, for instance, um, we've got to assume that a lot of these are likely to be cut in the coming months. In fact, we're already seeing some of that this morning in, in Europe. What are yours and the team's thoughts on this? Yeah, you are seeing uh, this. Um, it's the European banks, I think, that were at the centre of the kind of dividend headlines this morning. And I'm pretty sure, we're pretty sure that it's not going to be it. Uh, but there's not much solace we can offer income seekers in the very short run. Uh, what you can say is the market moves quite quickly to price in these cuts. Uh, and what that means is if you see a stock or an index offering you know, 10% plus dividend yields. Uh, it's likely not going to pay all of that this year. That's the truth of it. Um, we still maintain, though, that this isn't or shouldn't be thought of um, in the way that we think of uh, many previous recessions. It's somewhat like a kind of short global war, uh, but one where masses of property and machinery is not destroyed. So in our our opinion, dividends will return and maybe a, a quick, bit quicker than some uh, some uh, that some would assume they would otherwise. Um, but uh, yeah, in the short run, there's not much consolation we can offer. Dividends will be cut. There's no doubt about that across a uh, across a range of sectors in all likelihood. Great. Thanks, Will. Um, Rob, welcome back to the call. Um, when it comes to retirement, people now have uh, quite a lot of freedom to choose uh, what to do, actually, uh, whether it's drawdown, lump sum, taking tax-free cash. What's not clear is uh, the drawbacks, I suppose, of all of this. And um, Rob, you know, uh, you've spoken before about this, but what are the issues um, that, that the current sort of situations can present? Hi, Phil. Yeah, so the, the current retirement landscape is a little bit of a dichotomy, if you like. So at the start of the process, kind of when we start working and, and, and at the beginning of our retirement journey, we have auto-enrolment, which is a great scheme, which means that millions of people are automatically opted into saving for retirement. And therefore, it bypasses the inertia that's kind of needed to sign up for a pension, um, which used to hold a lot of us back before. But it also means that people aren't engaged with the choices they're making. So on the one hand, we're acknowledging people aren't kind of engaged enough to, to make the right decisions at the beginning of this journey because we're automatically opting them in. But then when it comes to retirement, we suddenly have all these freedoms to choose from. And we expect people now to 
sort of needed to be engaged and to know what to do and, and the right choices to make. And this issue of, of not being engaged during the retirement journey can be a costly one because we don't gain the experience from being invested, if you like. So we're not, we're not necessarily seeing our investments kind of go up and down and, um, and experience uh, the market um, movements. And so because we don't see the falls and the recoveries and the effect we've had on our portfolio over the long term, we don't really kind of get any perspective on the experience of investing. Right. And and I mean, so it's clear that retirement also, I mean, it isn't a topic that most people find enthralling, certainly not as we would. Um, but we do need to try and be more engaged. Investors need to be more engaged in order to make, I think, better decisions. What do we, what do you know and the team know about investors' experiences and financial characteristics, particularly as they get older, as they approach retirement? So, uh- Barclays, we've developed um, a unique tool which we call the Financial Personality Assessment. And what it does, it gives us an insight into our clients' kind of investing psychology, and it helps us to kind of better tailor solutions that we provide for them. But it also means that we've, we've now been operating this for a long period of time, and so we've gained some insight into how these attitudes kind of change over time. So if we look at risk tolerance, so someone's attitude towards taking risk, which is you know, one of the, the, the classic kind of markers to look for when we think about investing, we see that I would say probably quite obviously that risk tolerance tends to decline um, as people get older, uh, which is a, a good thing because you know the, the the classic advice is that we want to be taking a little less risk as we as we kind of get closer to retirement. But the interesting flip side to that is uh, another measure we have, which we call composure, which really looks at how someone experiences their investment journey and how anxious uh, you know those ups and downs of, of the market will make them. The older people get, their composure tends to increase. So they're less anxious, kind of they feel. And so it may be that because their perception of, of risk is is more aligned to the to the time that they've to their, their investment time frame, because they've they've been able to witness, you know, over time these, these markets ups and downs and can be a little bit more sanguine. So it actually seems that older investors may be better suited to deal with the current environment. Thanks, Robin. Uh, I mean, that financial personality assessment, I've over the last decade or so, I, I've taken it about three times. It's been hugely useful for, for myself as an investor, but also actually as an advisor to clients, it's useful because, um, you know, inherently I understand better my own biases and, and sort of how they mix with uh, advising clients as well. Um, Obviously, people's health and that of their families uh, and, and friends uh, will no doubt be front and centre of their concerns right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure many who are close to or in retirement are definitely likely to feel a lot more engaged than they normally would do right now. What are the risks of this current environment for, for those investors? Yes. So I think the biggest risk is is really making a purely kind of emotional, more instinctive kind of decision rather than one that's, that's more thoughtful and, and rational. So the recent market falls would have tested even the most you know, stoic of, of investors. And if you are one of those people who has you know, a lower level of composure and experiences more anxiety, then you might have to try hard to resist the urge to, to cash in your investments, if you like, so sell, sell out of your investments and, and move to cash. But because by doing that, you're basically just essentially locking in any losses and ensuring you, you don't have the chance to recover from those. I think the most important thing you can try and do is, is to put everything into context. So firstly, remember that the investments you see in the news are not your investments. It's likely that your perception of investing and your invest and the riskiness of your investments are being based on the stock markets that are being reported most frequently in the news. 
But the reality is that any sensible retirement investment will be diversified and the risk will kind of reduce as you head towards retirement. So you will see likely losses in your own pension um, portfolios, of course, but they should be significantly cushioned from the wild swings that we see in the stock market. I think the second important point is to think about the horizon over which you're investing, because the length of retirements that are now faced by many, we are still long-term investors. And this means that not only do you potentially need more growth from your investments to meet your you know, future expenditures and, and, and goals, but it also gives you the time to recover from any short-term losses that you may, might, might experience. Some useful points in there. Thanks, Rob. Um, Will, I'm going to bring you back in here. I've heard you talk about cash as the only true safe haven. Does that still apply? And at times like this, should that influence whether I choose to diversify into riskier assets? Well, so, yeah, Phil, I mean, when we talked about cash as a safe haven before, we talked about it in nominal terms. So, uh, i.e., thinking about it without inflation, because inflation is a risk to cash, as we know. But in the absence of inflation, it's one of the assets that doesn't tend to lose its so-called nominal value, uh, which means that unlike gold or many other things, uh, it tends to be, has been historically a more reliable safe haven in times um, like this. However, that safety needs to be balanced against your ability to use it uh, as a resource to achieve your long-term financial objectives. So, you know, that kind of opportunity cost. Uh, And remember that converting cash into a diversified portfolio definitely did not feel like a good idea back in March 2009. Uh, That's the bottom of the last recession. Um, There was actually one hedge fund manager famously urging all of his well-heeled clients to go out uh, and buy guns, as many as they could, uh, for the impending collapse of society, uh, when they would surely, these well-heeled clients would be a significant target. Um, now, if you look at that, a diversified portfolio was still a very, very uh, good investment at that point. And the point for us is that our bet is that the world economy will keep turning, uh, and that's what drives investments over the long term. So that's really what to focus on. Right. And I'm, I'm going to turn to timing. I, I know the academic answer, but surely, surely it's got to be tempting or at least maybe prudent to time my entry into investment portfolios. You know, when, when the news is filled with the headlines that we're seeing right now, uh, Will, I'll let you take that one as well. Uh, Phil, yeah, the simple answer is no. And the academic answer is no, I'm afraid. Uh, there's no real difference between the two. But uh, I mean, I think a good example um, was last week. So in amongst all that doom and gloom, Um, We had the best week for the MSCI all countries world. That's all stocks everywhere around the world, emerging markets and developed markets, since the great financial crisis in over 10 years. Now, this is the same week that gave us the worst increase in US unemployment claims ever. It was about five times that the increase in unemployment claims registered last week um, was the worst by about five times, more than five times, I think. So remember, the point is, that everything, um, everything everyone says, everything that they are worrying about at the moment, that should already be in the price. Markets are much more efficient. They assimilate new information much more effectively than many people give them credit for. Now, try to take, I think, the advantage that you can have at the moment when everyone is thinking only really about the next day, the next hour, so on, when timeframes are shortened, the advantage for certain types of clients who are able to think a bit longer term you're elongating your time frame of investment by six months, one year, as long as you possibly can. You're giving yourself a huge advantage over other market participants at the moment. And the real question you need to ask yourself, and we've asked this a lot, I know, but it's a really important simplification of what it's about to invest in a diversified portfolio. It's do I think humankind is going to continue to invent new things 
from the jaw dropping to the more prosaic uh, and get better at using these new things. Now, as they have for hundreds of years, some would say even thousands of years. Now, I see no reason not. Why not? So invest. You are getting a discounted entry point at the moment where markets are really musing on the downside threats a little more than they would usually. Uh, so-called left tail risk. So this is a good opportunity uh, for investors able to think beyond that next couple of months uh, and really take advantage of um, uh, a little bit of a, a, um, a downside focus at the moment. I knew you'd set me straight. And I have to admit, I didn't see the 10% rise in the S&P coming last week either, or, or on that particular day last week either. So uh, yeah, very, very worthwhile points. So finally, uh, the control word. Uh, we've spoken recently about the lack of control that people are feeling in these situations. W what does that mean for those around retirement, Rob? So I think if, if you're coming close to retirement or even in retirement and your investments have fallen, this is obviously potentially impacting on your retirement plans that you already have in place. And this may be making you feel like you need to, to do something to, in order to kind of gain some control. So the thing I'd say is, is focus on what you can control uh, at the end of the day, you can't you can't move the investment markets, and as Will has mentioned, you know we can't reliably predict you know when we're going to be near the bottom in order to best kind of time our investments. But you can control your own actions kind of in response to this. So what this means is reviewing your retirement plans on a reasonably regular basis, and you know the insight that I've gleaned from our experience wealth planners uh, suggests some kind of sensible things that we can do at this point in time. So if you're approaching retirement. Now is a good time to review when you're retired, how much you want to draw from your investments um, to supplement any other income or capital you have. And if you don't have any further funds to help cover any you know, shortfalls that you may be seeing in your investment portfolio, then you may wish to think about, you know, do you delay retirement? Do you reduce your kind of planned of, uh, level of planned expenditure? And for those who you know, have already retired or just retired, you know, there's, a, there's a few things you can think about, whether you consider postponing any large kind of one-off expenses um, or even you know, slightly reducing kind of discretionary spending. I think the, an important point is if you already have any cash uh, pots available, then it makes sense to use this money first. And on the same uh, note, you know, use the natural income that your portfolio produces, um, which means that you can delay taking the capital out of your investment pot and give it more time in the market to recover from any of, these, uh, any of the short-term falls that we've seen. And ultimately, in periods of poor performance, if you can be flexible with how much you draw and when, then it's going to help improve your eventual outcomes. Some good advice there, uh, Rob. Thank you. And thank you, Will, and also you, our listeners, for joining us for this Word on the Street special. Nikki and Will will be back at the end of the week when we hope you'll be able to join us again. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.